I'm Lauren. Hello, I'm Sarah. And then Welcome back to another episode of Multilingual Mamas. Today we have with us the famous sociolinguist and bilingualism advocate, Kim Potowski. You may know her from the tech talk called No Child Left Monolingual or from the thorough, well-deserved negative review of the book Hablando Bien Se Entiende La Gente, or maybe by her peculiar thrift store hunting skills. Besides being an active scholar, Kim spends a lot of time sharing evidence-based research with the community to ensure that parents are well-informed if they decide to pass on to their children their language and culture. But today, we're going to learn more about Kim's personal journey raising her children bilingual. Thank you for joining us, Kim. Thank you so much for having me. So can you tell us first just a little bit about yourself personally, what languages you speak, um, and kind of what your journeys were to learning each of those languages? Um, well, I was raised on Long Island, New York, in a rather, well, very, very monolingual. I used to say it was monocultural, but, you know, in retrospect, we had, you know, a very, very strong Jewish community there and a strong Italian-American community there. Uh, but we could certainly call it white, very white space. Um, I don't think I met anybody who actually spoke Spanish until I started working at McDonald's down the road, which intersected with a nearby town called Brentwood. Turns out that my uh, now colleague, Lourdes Torres, is a Puerto Rican from Brentwood. Uh, we did not know each other back then. I thought you were going to say she worked at the McDonald's. She did not work at the McDonald's, no. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, so I, you know, grew up monolingually in English and in seventh grade, you had to pick Spanish, French, or Italian. Um, and I already knew how to count to 10 from Sesame Street. So I guess I figured, hey, I'm halfway there. Let me pick Spanish. And um, I had in seventh grade, a lovely man. His name was Mr. Chavez. He was from Mexico. Um, but like most teachers, you know, we are products of our time. And in the, at that time, right in the 80s or whatever it was, you know, it was copying vocabulary three times. El lapis de pencil, el lapis de pencil, el lapis de pencil, right? We didn't, we weren't exposed to a whole lot of Spanish. I don't remember a whole lot from that year. Um, then in eighth grade, I had Mr. Stone. Now, Mr. Stone um, one day uh, gave us a test and I finished early. And on the back of the test, I started like making up a story. I wrote a story and in this story, I invented a party that I threw for my friends for my birthday and it was all in the past tense. And I knew how to use the past tense because I had flipped ahead in our textbook, which was called Nuestros Amigos. I actually have a copy of it now. <laughs> um, and I learned how to kind of, I'm like, oh, you take off the ending, you put on, okay, cool. So I'm, I wrote the story in the preterite. And, <laughs> and uh, when he's giving back the test, he pulls me outside into the hallway. Now I was like, I never did anything wrong. If you can believe that. I was like a kid who never got in trouble. So um, I was, I, I almost plopped right there. I was like, oh my God, why is he calling me out into the hallway, you know? Um, and he's like, Maria, because you had to pick, you know, a name. Um, I did as well. I was Natalia. You were Natalia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could go on and on about that. But anyway, he's like, uh, did you write this? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was no Google Translate back then, right? Of course I wrote it. Um, and it was a quiz taken in class. So it's not like I, you know, took it home. I don't know. Anyway, he, he, I started, it started to dawn on me that he was actually complimenting me. And he said, you know, oh, my wife is from Columbia and she read this and she wondered if he spoke Spanish at home. And I was like, yeah, no, no, I did. I was like, well, maybe I'm kind of good. Anyway, I continued. And then in high school, I had Mr. Ferrati and he's the one I dedicated my first textbook to. He's the one, you know, we all had that teacher, right? Shout who, out. Um, yep. 
Shout out to Mr. Ferrati, who was an uh, Italian-American, not a native Spanish speaker, but just taught with such passion and loved, made it really clear that grammar was cool. You know, to learn about the past subjunctive was just like this otherworldly experience and the fact that you could go to Europe, maybe. I mean, it was very Eurocentric, let's say that. Uh, but he would bring up various phrases from Latin America as well, what, what he knew, you know. Anyway, um, I was such a geek for Spanish stuff. Uh, I took the AP Spanish test. I wonder if it was like the first couple of years they even had it. Like we did it with a, you know, chisel on, on stone tablets. That's how we did it. And I got a five on it. Um, and then they had to share the foreign language award. You know how they have like the athletic awards at every high school, right? So they had the foreign language award, foreign language. And I had to share it with this other nerd because we were just so, so nerdy about it. Went to college. I was like, okay, I'm going to be a Spanish major. And they had a junior year abroad in Salamanca program. And I'm like, hey, I have all the prereqs. Can I do it next year? They're like, sure. So I went and that was it. Like that to me was what totally made the coin drop that this is something I dig. And I majored in it, not knowing what that meant. Um, it meant literature, by the way, <laughs> literature, literature, and more literature. I didn't know there was a thing called linguistics. Um, uh, finished the major and said, what do I do now? I guess I do a master's um, in literature, <laughs> Spanish. Um, got into a program, but then realized, yeah, no, I did You know, that just didn't work out. And then I discovered a thing called linguistics and I ended up at Urbana. And uh, that's probably enough for right now for, of that story. <laughs> so you speak Spanish and English? Oh, yeah. And then I started learning French, too. I liked, you know, French. I, I took a signed up for a community college class when I was in high school, but did not have time to really commit to it. And then when I got to college, I was like hitting a candy store. I was like, "Woo, I'm gonna take some French now. And I took just enough to minor in it, I think, but I'm not sure I ever I don't think I did minor in it. Uh, and I ended up living in France for a little while. So yeah, I learned some some French. Um, I studied a year of German while I was doing that year in Salamanca. I had a wonderful teacher from Cáceres, but I learned more Spanish than I did German in that class that year. We kind of all know why. Um, Sarah's nodding her head. I mean, right, a lot of language classes are taught in not in the, the target language. Um, then finally, I did study a semester of Portuguese for, for Spanish speakers um, when I was at Urbana. Um, but I didn't, you know, learn more from that than I did from memorizing the David Byrne Usamba uh, soundtrack so <laughs> or cd um so kim you speak english and spanish tell us about just home practices uh language practices who's at home, home language practices with? well yeah. um you probably want to know more about when my kids were little because they're they're very big right. yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> so um when i met their dad i said listen you know I want to speak to any kids we have in Spanish. You need to sign on the line here that you are okay with this. And he was like, oh, no, absolutely. You know, he grew up in a very, very small town in Northern Illinois, very, very monolingual. And he wanted that for his kids, you know? So he was down with it. Um, I was much better about staying in Spanish when they were younger. It got harder and harder as they got older for lots of reasons that we can explore. Um, and I had someone come into the home a couple times a week to help me, right? Um, she did like cleaning and then she looked after the kids for me. It was a Mexican gal. So they were getting a lot of input in Spanish at the time, right? And as somebody who knows all about input, right? You're just like, that's, that's what drives this bus. I've got to have them exposed to much, as much input as possible. Um, Nico's first word, in fact, was agua, right? Um, and so I knew I needed to keep that up. Uh, that was so Victoria's first word. Really? It was also Agua? Yeah, and Dan Olson, who we interviewed on this. It seems like Agua is a, is a popular, popular one. Wow. 
Wow. Uh, there was a funny anecdote how one time he was looking out the window. So his, their grandparents live in the apartment downstairs from where we live. Um, and so grandpa was hanging out with Nico. My older one is Nico. And uh, Nico saw a car outside and he was trying to say, carro, carro. And he said, cow, cow, cow. And grandpa was like, what cow? I don't see a cow out there, right? So haha, you know, bilingual humor that happens. But um, when they were ready to go to a, a preschool setting, I had a heck of a time finding one in Spanish and I insisted on one in Spanish. I was not gonna give up the thing I had with Alejandra to send them off somewhere where English was gonna start to come in. So there's an organization called Illinois Action for Children. And you used to pay them 10 bucks and give them three zip codes and they would mail you like in the post office, remember when you get letters in the mail, um, a list of all the Illinois approved uh, home daycares in those three zip codes. And I called every single one where the lady had, you know, Gonzalez or Ramirez or whatever. And I would talk to them in Spanish and say, you know, ask them about their daycare. So they would say, say, no, 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 no. Yo les hablo a los nenes en, en inglés porque eso es lo que quieren los papás. And I was like, of course, that's, eso es lo que quieren los papás. I'm like, but I want Spanish. Finally, I found this lovely Puerto Rican woman over on Kimball and Armitage. And she's like, si usted quiere que yo les hable a los nenes en español, yo lo haré. And she did. And she would give them arroco en habichuela. And those kids came home, like all talking about monte, monte, monte. So um, it's gotten easier now for people in Chicago. Someone I know um, has looked up. There's Puerto del Sol. And then there's some other, there's like three or four places in the city. Somebody I talked to this morning has found a Spanish speaking Montessori in Oak Park that they just put their two year old in. So it's gotten easier in that there are more opportunities but when my kids you know 18 years ago it was it was hard to find um spanish preschools um but i i persisted i found it um and then i enrolled them in in dual language but you asked about the home so yeah i, I did a lot of spanish when they were younger and i could not quantify for you uh, neither the quantities how it began to shift nor when it began to shift but i you know their little bedtime stories always in spanish in fact we don't I don't think I know any in English and they, they, they still to this day, remember them. Um, there's a lot of things that we did in Spanish, but as they got older, you know, it, it just, it gets more challenging, but I, I, I feel, um, I guess proud of the fact that I was able to, to instill a certain, you know, baseline level of input for, for both of them. You should be. So keep, yeah. Would you say, sorry for interrupting. Would you say that you spoke to them in Spanish and English, like code switch mode or were you like, no, I tried to stick mostly to Spanish, code switch mode. I probably code switched. Yeah. Um, yeah. and it's so funny when I was in grad school, we were reading studies. I was like, why don't they have more detailed studies about when I have kids and I'm going to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no. That's okay. why Silva Corvalan's beautiful book is of her grandchildren. Mm. Um, it's just, and the only study there are of your own kids is by men. Sorry, it's true. Um, but I, I, sorry, I cannot really quantify for you more about my yeah, language. No. I would say um, I occasionally find snippets of recordings of, of us here in the home. And I, Cute. a lot of them are in Spanish. Um, I think I just tried to stick to Spanish. Sometimes I would speak in English. Sometimes I probably would code switch, but I'm sorry, I cannot right. really quantify. No, that's that okay. So there was like the two languages going on, depending on the conversation. Well, yeah, because their dad doesn't speak Spanish. So he, right, he would right. talk to them. All right, perfect. So how would you describe your, you have, you have two, two children? Yeah. How would you describe their dominance or proficiency in each of their languages? And has that changed over time? Probably. They were probably stronger in Spanish. Well, and so we also had a year that we lived in Oaxaca. 
So when Nico was in first grade and Sam was in kindergarten, we lived there for a year. Um, and that is probably when their Spanish was, it's, it's difficult to say the strongest, right? Because they were so young and what they communicated about, right? Um, was different. Um, but it was probably when it was the most part of their daily lives. They went to school every single day. Nobody in that school spoke any English at all. So I actually saw them both. They were playing. They had these little things called tazos. They were these round discs, metal discs that mm -hmm. came in chips. And yeah, we don't tazos. eat chips, but we bought more chips that year than I think, you know, and we didn't even eat them. We just opened it up and take out the tassel and I would throw the chips away because they wanted their dang tassels, you know. And I saw them in the house together speaking Spanish, playing tassels. And I was like, oh, dear diary. Because I that they were pretty English, you know, in part because of their dad and their grandparents, et cetera. Um, but during that year in Mexico, that really pumped up their Spanish. And then we went back every summer and they did. So Mexican schools don't let out to July. So as soon as Chicago public schools let out in June, we would race down there and I would show them back in their old school for the last month of the year until they realized that that's, hey, <laughs> nobody else has to go for another month of school. What's up? You know, the jig was up and I couldn't do it anymore. So I had to move our summer dates to coincide with uh, camp, summer camp in Mexico. That they were okay with. So we did summer camp for a little while. And now, you know, they've got jobs and girlfriends, et cetera. So you know, if I'm lucky, they come down for a week when I bring my study groups. Um, so you asked me about their language dominance. They, they, uh, you know, it's very, very typical for the older one to be stronger in the minority language than the younger one, and that definitely was was the case for us. Nico, plus Nico's just his personality is sort of more like mine. You know, he'll just talk to a brick wall. He don't care. You know, he's oh, you know, Sam is more like her dad. She's just very, you know, a little more reserved. Um, uh, and if you don't do that input, you don't push. Excuse me, the output. You're not really pushing the system. Um, right. Plus, she was younger. At the time, Nico did a lot of talking for her, um, mm -hmm. all the typical stuff that we read about. Um, so I would say uh, Nico's Spanish ended up developing more strongly than Sam's did. Uh, Nico did get a four on his APE Spanish language test. Um, Sam had a difficult circumstance. Her freshman year of high school, she took, they both placed into Spanish for heritage speakers, by the way, and they both went K through eight to a dual immersion school oh, here wow. in Chicago. Uh, they got to high school, they placed into Spanish for heritage speakers. Um, and after one year of that, which was online, so Sam's freshman year was COVID and it was online. And mm -hmm. it, you know, that's thanks for everybody. So after that year, she just was like, you know what, I want to learn Japanese. So she switched tracks over to Japanese. Um, today, when I, I occasionally will hear her speaking Spanish um, with people and, you know, she can get her thoughts across and, and, and Nico as well. You know, if you had told me back then, this is where your kids are going to end up, to be honest, probably back then I would have said, oh, God, really? That's not that great. I can do better than that. Really? But having lived the life and seeing what we were able to do and seeing how, you know, your kids are people, they're their own people, mm -hmm. they're not just little use. Um, uh, I, I love and respect them and what they've been able to do and what I think I was able to provide for them. So I think I think I'm I'm OK with it. Kim, I have two follow-up questions. Um, the first thing you you talked about Oaxaca, that's, that's something that you did every summer. And I believe once you did like a full academic year, you were able to, or right. maybe. So I want to talk about how we try to do these things, right? Take our kids to the um, the language, the country where the language is spoken and everything. 
did you ever second guess your choice of doing that? Because I know sometimes that means sacrificing your holidays to take your kids somewhere. And perhaps for you, it was like a research thing on the side as well. But uh, I've been talking to a lot of parents and they're just always like, we always have to do the summer in that country. You know, like at some some point that becomes a thing where you're just like investing in it, but it also takes away from exploring. What was your experience with that? You, you're happy with your choices. Absolutely. Would not change a single thing. Mm -hmm. Do your kids ever complain or tired of doing the same or they were embracing it just fine? No, I mean, like, as I said, when, when they realized that, oh, why do we have to go to school? Then we moved to day camp, right? And then most kids, I think around 14, 15 is when they kind of go, right. doesn't matter what you do with them. They want to make their own choices. So, but for that entire time when kids are kind of pretty much resigned to doing what their parents tell them and, you know, no, we didn't, I no. mean, you could ask them if they hated every second of it. No. I don't think <laughs> they did. I don't think they did. And I, I know my path was, I was, I was very okay with it. All right. Awesome. And then you also mentioned the, your kids getting into um, the heritage speaker class. They placed into this class. Right. I call them heritage speakers without the heritage. Exactly. That's what they so are. What is that? I remember you mentioning that in social media. What does that mean for you? You were so proud that that happened. Can you tell us right. more about that and what that means for you personally? Well, we use the term heritage speaker, you know, to refer to someone who was raised in the U.S. speaking a non-English language. I would if I had to guess what percent of heritage speakers are exposed to a non-English language in this country because it is their family heritage, I would say it's probably 99%. Okay. The, the weirdos like me for whom Spanish is not in the family, not in the anything and who like decided to do it is super rare. Um, furthermore, we've got these dual immersion schools. I wish they were on every single corner. I wish nobody went to a school that wasn't a dual immersion school. Uh, but here. in spite of it being quite rare, those who do go to those schools, right? Mm, I'm going to say most, most of them who are not Latino, who did not have any exposure to Spanish in the home and who went through a high quality dual language program up through eighth grade, come out on the other end with a linguistic system that has a lot of similarities, a lot of overlaps to what a lot of heritage speakers have. But yet to call them heritage speakers to me, um, is a little untrue because heritage also means something. I don't want to, mm-hmm. you know, take away from or, or in any way alter the definition, muddy the definition that I think honors, right, mm-hmm. uh, Latinidad. So my kids don't have Latinidad. I want to make it real clear. These are little white kids, okay? Um, but they, for different um, life reasons, were exposed to Spanish, you know, from birth, right? Um, and are bilingual, right? Um, so that's why I, I use that phrase heritage speakers without the heritage because they sort of present profiles that are similar to heritage speakers. Um, but I wanna make that clear that they, you know, I'm not trying to pass them off as little Latinos just because they happen to know some Spanish. Yeah, we kind of conflate the like linguistic skills and cultural heritage and most of the time doing that works out, but there are these like fringe cases where right. the label doesn't work. Right. And, and like I said, it's, it's important to me to honor uh, Latino experiences, right? Um, and the fact that so many kids around this country are systematically denied the opportunity to teach it. They're forced into all English schools. They're bullied. They and their families for speaking Spanish, right? Um, right. So I, I try to be very, very aware of, of my, you know, privilege and my positionality and what I was able to do for my kids. Um, you know, as a white woman, I was never said nobody ever said anything to me 
in public or elsewhere that I know of, right, about like, why are you speaking Spanish, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, whereas people, other people, um, including but not limited to people who present as people of color, right, they, they get um, negative comments and, and things like that. So I, I just want to be, you know, be wonderful if we live in a society where that wasn't happening. And then we could just say they're bilingual and leave it at that, right? Um, but since we are using this word heritage speaker, which does mean something a little different from bilingual, right? I'm not a heritage speaker, right? I'm a bilingual, but I'm not a heritage speaker. And um, well, neither are my kids, right? Um, but they're a different kind of bilingual, I think, than I am. Right. So I wouldn't call myself a heritage speaker without the heritage, but I would call them that. Right. And I, I think you're actually just talking about what we're about to ask you right now, right? Like uh, I was, we were just going to ask you, um, as a white non-native speaker of Spanish, um, did you get any comments from native speakers and non-native speaking speakers? You said that you didn't hear anything from like native speakers when you were out there speaking Spanish to your children or anything. What about non-native speakers? Did they ever question your decision? Did they ever say anything? They just assume. You I mean, Spanish. who's gonna strangers? I guess strangers never said anything to me, and the people I know, they already know. Right. Oh, she's gonna do that. Of course, she's gonna do that. You know. Right. I wonder if it has to do with Chicago because uh, in my experience, a lot of people do come and comment on it. Oh, it's so great that you teach them Spanish. Where are you from? The typical comments. And even the kids are now figuring that out. Like even my son now is like, well, I get compliments, whereas my yeah. family don't, doesn't. So I was just wondering maybe Chicago being Chicago, the area where you are, you might get a different situation than us. But I was just curious to see if non-native speakers would have something to say or native speakers ever question like well what, where are you from they, they ask you oh I get that all the time yeah so tell us about that because I mean that's probably weird to them as it is for me too people look at me and they're like why are you speaking Spanish to your kids and I'm like I'm from Spain <laughs> yeah oh well, that makes I don't sense. I mean I'm sure it probably happens you know it's funny when when I was pregnant you know I would know every single thing about what my blah blah was supposed to be and what your blah, like all this right. stuff that I knew and then seven minutes after giving birth, you would ask me, I'd be like, I don't know. So people ask me stuff now about pregnancy or birth or this or that. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. And then I, I would ask my mom stuff. She'd be like, I don't know. How could you not know? Like, now I get it. Of course you don't know. Your brain, mine anyway. So, but I can tell you that I don't specifically recall. And I would think that I would just because what I'm interested in and who I am, but I don't recall anybody saying, oh, you're speaking Spanish. You're like, I just don't. Um, what I do get with some frequency is when I'm in, for example, you know, um, Sir Mac Produce, which is mostly a Latino serving sort of supermarket. Um, if I'm in the checkout line, you know, <laughs> I so they'll be talking to whoever's leaving. Que le vaya bien. They'll check out that person. They'll turn to me. They'll go, hello. Right. Um, which I get, of course. But, you know, just sometimes just if I feel like, oh, I'd like to speak Spanish with this person, it's good for me to to do that. Right. I, I'll do what I call preemptive Spanish. So mm -hmm. before she has a chance to, you know, after she's said goodbye to that person, then she sort of turns to me, I might ask, I might say, Esto está dos por uno, va? or I'll be like, Cubo, or I'll be like, vaya que frío. I'll say something. And then I get that. And then she starts right. to look and then she'll start checking me out. And then we'll be chatting. And then very frequently, especially if the conversation is like super jocular or whatever, and they feel the confianza para preguntarme, they'll be like, de donde es usted? And I'll be like, no, please, I get that all. I get that a lot. And I know what they're going for, because if I just say Nueva York, they'll be like, no, pero su familia. So I know what they're trying to figure out is like, what is my Latin American origin? So I'll typically say something like, no, pues yo soy güera, pero pues aprendí el español en México. 
And they'll be like, ay, qué bien lo habla. And I'll say, es que los mexicanos son muy buenos maestros. And they'll be like, ha, ha, you know. Um, and then I get this. Oh, my God, if I had a nickel for every time somebody said, I thought you were from Argentina or I thought you were from Spain. Now, my Spanish sounds about as Argentine <laughs> or, or as uh, uh, peninsular from Spain as my English sounds like it's from Australia. Okay, it just doesn't. But they're saying that because they're reading me as white. I can't possibly be Mexican, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I get. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, Tim, in an email to us, you said uh, raising children bilingually in the U.S. when you know English is a political act. Can you just explain a little bit what you meant by that? Right. Um, and I probably read that somewhere like... Uh, Let's see, Anacelia Centella talks like that. That's probably, yeah, I'm not the first person, right, to have expressed it in those terms, but I certainly believe it. Um, and I tell this to my undergrads, I've been telling them this for 23 years. Um, you all know Spanish in large degree because your parents didn't know English, right? So that, you didn't have a choice. You were, <laughs> were going to learn Spanish whether you wanted to or not. Now, of course, there are different degrees of that, and we know that younger children learn less than older children because they've got those older siblings coming home and speaking, right? Older, first and second born kids to parents who don't speak any English are often raised in a monolingual Spanish speaking household, right? And then kids three and beyond are not. They're raised in a different linguistic household because their older siblings come home and speak to them in English. Um, so I'll say to them, you know, and y'all know English, right? Um, if you want your future kids to know Spanish, mark my words you are going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Um, and I say this over and over and they come back and they're like, you were right. You were right. You know, um, it's just because they, I think a lot of them mistakenly, you know, assume that, well, I grew up, you know, I learned Spanish. So my kids will too. And they don't, you know, realize that once you know English, right. Particularly when your English is stronger than your Spanish, as, as is the case for me. And I would say most of my undergrads, um, and that's, and your partner also is fluent in English, right? I tell them, if you go to, go to Mexico, find a partner over there, don't know any English, then you, you know, <laughs> um, it's very, very difficult to do very, very, and I'll tell them, I'm like, I mean, I'm like, and I have all the, you know, the sort of the knowledge that I've accumulated about this. I have resources. I have, you know, all the things in place to make it happen. And even then it was a struggle. You know, it was to just, I had to find that daycare. I had to insist on this. I had to insist on that. And just, and even then, the, you know, the kids, and then there's a the kid pushback. That's always a thing. We can talk about how the kids, you know, push back. Um, and then there's these myths. These young people encounter these myths, right? You know, um, if I speak two languages to my kid, they'll be confused. Um, I will slow down their English acquisition. They're going to end up having some kind of accent their whole lives, right? All these myths that are Oh, they're so out there. Um, I'll tell you in a minute about this PSA idea that I have. But anyway, um, that's why I say it is a political. Well, it's a political act because in this country, we all know 80% of folks are monolingual in English. That's the estimate, right? At least from the census reports, 80% of households report speaking only English. And a lot of that 80% are, you know, kind of jerks and they would, they wish it was 100%, right? They don't want to, they're bothered when they call the gas company and they hear para espanolo prima dos. They don't like that. Um, they wish everything was just in English here, right? This one nation, one language ideology that emerged right in the 1800s with the emergence of the modern nation state. And they, they believe this stuff. 
they, they, they just can't conceptualize how you can be a multilingual nation, right? So they bully and they criticize and they do all this stuff. So it is, I think, it's a political stance to say, I am choosing, I know English. I'm not like my parents who didn't have a choice. They had to speak the only thing they knew. I have a choice and I am choosing to speak Spanish with my kids mm -hmm. and I'm choosing to put my kid in a Spanish language school and I'm choosing books in Spanish for my kids and television in Spanish. I'm choosing all of these things. Um, I don't know if it's primarily a political act. It's, I think primarily something you want for your children for them to develop <laughs> bilingual proficiency. Pero viene siendo además a political act because what you're doing is you're telling society that you know this is my stake in the ground this is important to me and this is what this is what i'm doing um and that de por si yeah it is a type of you know the personal becoming political you can also i tell students interrupt white public space in different ways like if i ever find myself like in really like uber white spaces like if i'm up in i don't know lincoln park or something for whatever reason like i've been online in like a walgreens in in in, in those areas of town um, and I'll just pull out my phone. Like nobody has called me and I'm not calling anybody. I'll, I'll be like, si bueno. And I'll just start having a conversation with no one in Spanish, just to inject some Spanish into that space, you know? And because I'm a white lady, you know, most people aren't going to say anything to me. Right. right. So that's kind of a way that I try to, or even if they did, I feel like I could, you know, respond in ways in kind that would write like I'm probably not at risk of any sort of harm or things like that so I, I try to sort of like you know how you use your privilege right to try to to try to interrupt spaces and create and and just create awareness of of right mm -hmm. Spanish exists Spanish is here and I'm going to interject it into these spaces because that's the kind of world I want to see like I want other people to to have the right to speak whatever they want to yeah. I think you've established very firmly, that it's really hard to raise bilingual children in the U.S., and we know that that's a reality. So if you have the choice to do this all over again in a different country, and I know you've traveled a lot, you've been in Canada, you've been in other countries, what country would you choose to do this to make it easier on you? I don't know that I would. I like my life here. I wouldn't, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so what would have to change for this to be easier for us in the U.S.? What are the things that we're missing? Everyone would have to attend a dual immersion school. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Because I think what that does is that creates people who grew up to be less, um, you, you get fewer people who are linguistically intolerant, okay. right? You get fewer people who are triggered by <laughs> hearing a non-English language. You get more people, more than, even more than not being triggered, you get people who are proficient in more than one language and who maybe, um, if they at least aren't triggered by it, they perhaps may even value other languages and so when people are out in public speaking other languages uh, they, they they value it right all right you can now live a parallel existence and you can go raise your kids right I, maybe i would raise them in oaxaca and i would and um speak english at home that would be different right because the, then spanish would be the majority language and then i would be able to have the the english piece at home mm -hmm. yeah i guess yeah that would be the opposite position. It would be the opposite. Yeah. And what would be the benefit to that? Not only is English uh, a prestige language down there, so it's minority, but it's not minoritized. Right. Uh, but furthermore, English is my first and stronger language. Um, I've never said, I love you to my kids in Spanish. Never. Because I mean, no me sale. I say, I love you. You know? Um, so I could do all the things in English with my kids in Mexico and know they're getting all their Spanish out there here. 
I was the main source of their input in Spanish and I'm not a native speaker um, and I have my limitations, right? Cultural and linguistic. So that's why for me, it was so important to like take them to Mexico, have them be in a dual immersion school, like have other, right? And and even their dad, you know, doesn't know Spanish. So it was like, I had to find, I had to fight for all those other sources of input for my kids. If If I were to live a parallel life and then raise them in Mexico, in some ways that would be easier in the sense that I would just be me in English at home, right? And and they I know they would get the English at home and then they would get the Spanish out. They, their level of bilingualism would be far superior had had that happened. But I'm not saying I would prefer that, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so I guess we can follow up with but you started talking about it now. What do you think is the most harmful misconception about bilingualism that exists in the U.S. or in your community? Well, I don't know if it's the most harmful, but I'll tell you the one that I'd like to eradicate. I'd like to eradicate the one that I see among parents that they're afraid, and I get it. They are, you know, a lot of the folks that I um, come into contact with and have the great privilege to talk with are Mexican immigrants, right, adults who came here from Mexico, and they're raising their kids here now. And, you know, when you yourself suffer from a lack of English, like the last thing you want is for your kid to suffer. Mm-hmm. Nobody plays with their kids' lives, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't play with my kids' lives in any way I thought would harm them. Nobody does that. Mm-hmm. So if a parent truly believes and or is told, hey, you know, you're going to damage your kids' chances at a good future, um, if you if you put them in a bilingual program, if you put them in this, if you continue to speak to them in Spanish, you know, try to talk to them in English as much as you can at home. And uh, if you truly believe that's what's best for your kids, that's what you're going to do. If you're told feed your kid broccoli six times a week because that's what you're going to do, right? So these myths are so pernicious. Um, and I mentioned earlier that I wanted to do a PSA. I've written three PSA, public service announcements in Spanish. Um, and I've got the whole, the guiones, the scripts, they're all written, right? Um, and they talk about this. So one had, and I want to see them on Univision. I've got a little bit of funding so far. I just have to kind of in my copious spare time, I've got to get out there and, and find somebody to do this for me. But um, so like, just for example, in one of them, you've got these two comadres sitting at a table and one says to the other, oh, you got comadre. I mean, me dijeron que, you know, I should be speaking more English at home because of this and that. And the other one says, no, comadre, eso no es cierto, because blah, 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 blah. Nuestros hijos no se confunden. But, oh, really? And, you know, can you imagine like, you know, here we are, we're professors, we have websites and da, da, da. They ain't reading those websites, right? Um, I, I think if they're sitting at home and Univision is on, we, we have a better chance. That's my thought anyway, that we have a better chance of getting this message out. And then comes the voice. El bilingüismo es un superpoder. Busque programas de la, 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 la. Para más información, puede ir a... And then you give them a URL, right? If they want more information. Um, another one is... Because here's, here's another sad thing that happens to U.S. Spanish speakers. Not only are they bullied by the hegemonic majority, right? The Anglophones who say, we don't want Spanish here, okay? They get another kind of bullying, which is from their own families and communities and Spanish teachers, right? So their own families will tell them, I que feo hablas, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and make fun of them, right? And then uh, we all know what their high school Spanish teachers do to them. I mean, I've been listening to the linguistic trauma that um, students come to my university with for over 20 years, right? Um, it has not gotten any better. You know, uh, they show up with their tail between their legs, thinking their Spanish is terrible. Their families tell them that and their Spanish teachers tell them that. So another one of these PSAs um, 
it's a backyard party and the two kids run up to uh, a lady and they're like, Tia, me das un poco de cake, you know? So she turns, gives him the cake. And then a fella says to her, ay, pero que feo hablan, estas no son maneras de hablar, blah, 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 because the kid said cake, you know? And then she turns to him and says, mire, you know, we need to encourage them. It's better that they speak it a little funny. A que no lo hablen para nada, you know? And then the guy's like, oh, you're right. You know, um, to just try to get families to support their kids. Like, no, they're not going to pass for little monolinguitos in Mexico. No, never. And they don't have to. They are not monolinguitos from Mexico, right? They're we not, know bilinguals yeah. are not two monolinguals joined at the neck, right? Ana Celia, Cynthia repeats that all the time. Um, they are bilinguals. And the more you can encourage it, the better. And this shaming that we do of them uh, we can, you know, surmise that it leads to them abandoning it. Why should I speak this language? The whites don't want me to speak it, right? And my own family makes fun of me for speaking it. So I'm just going to forget it. I'm not even going to try. So those are the kinds of uh, things I'd like to see happen, right? To get these messages out to, to parents. Yeah. yeah, kind of related to that when you talk to parents who don't, Hispanic parents who don't want to put their kids in a dual uh, language program, they say like they fear that the English won't come like you said but they also sometimes don't see the need like they don't understand that the Spanish isn't going to just come automatically and especially they don't think about Spanish literacy or academic right. Spanish needing to be developed so if you're at home listening help help your kid out <laughs> you know give them the if you can give them the the schooling in Spanish so that they don't have to, I don't know, they don't need to right. feel embarrassed, but so that they don't. Right. That's an excellent point. I, what I've shown to parents is, so I conducted research in a public dual language school here in Chicago, and I gathered samples from home Spanish speaking kids. So in one school building, there's two classrooms per grade, right? All English first grade, dual immersion first grade, all English second grade, dual immersion first grade, right? So I grabbed samples of um, listening, speaking, reading, and writing from first, third, fifth, and eighth graders, okay? Um, and then with the help of uh, doctoral student, Megan Marshall, I analyzed, right, the, the kids' scores. We rated stuff. Some The multiple choice stuff was easy enough to score, but then the actual writing, we had to rate, et cetera. Um, and I show this to parents. I say, okay, look at both these kids. These kids are neighbors. They both speak Spanish at home. This kid's parents put them in dual. This kid's parents put them in all English. Look at the writing, and then they see it. They go... So when the parents tell me, you know, hablamos español en casa y eso es suficiente, I'll say, qué bueno que hablen español en casa. Por favor, sigan haciendo eso. That's the best thing you can do. Pero cuando dicen que es suficiente, suficiente para qué, right? If you want your kid to write like this, then yeah, I guess it's suficiente. But if you want them to write like this, you need to put them in dual. And P.S., let me show you their English. And the English is not any worse, you know? So you're getting that English and then you're also getting the Spanish. Yeah. Why not both? Yeah. So what you're saying for anybody listening is that if you have access to a dual immersion program, please do send your kids there because that would be instrumental in maintaining that minority. A thousand percent. Yeah. A thousand percent. And realmente los papás who probably, that message often needs to be said in Spanish. You know, say, yeah. I mean, a lot of Mexican immigrant moms are probably not going to be listening to this. Yeah. But if you are bilingual and you're listening to this um, and understanding the English, then, then yes. Um, and I had a wonderful moment just this morning. There was a uh, fifth grader when I did my PhD dissertation. He was one of the fifth graders that I wow. studied in my dissertation, which 
feels like it was last century. Well, it was last century. Um, anyway, <laughs> he was one of the four. So I studied a whole group of fifth graders. And then I went back after my dissertation, studied them again in eighth grade, right? He was one of the, and then I had four in particular who I like really focused on. And I had like 2000 turns of speech, whatever the heck I did, right? Um, and so this kid now has two kids, right? He's an adult. And he was just telling me this morning that they found a dual, uh, a, a Spanish language preschool for his two-year-old uh, son. And he showed me a little video and they were singing and dancing in Spanish and stuff. And I was like, oh my God. So um, it's absolutely the best thing you can do. Choose that Spanish. And I know sometimes it's, that's hard. I know I struggled for it, you know. Um, so I, I, I get it, but it's, I'm glad he recognized, he and his wife recognized the value of, of doing that. Yeah, for sure. Um, changing gears a little bit, um, do you think that mothers and fathers play an equal role in raising their children bilingual? Um, it depends on who's home with the kid more frequently. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you have two mothers, sometimes you have two fathers, sometimes you have only one parent. Uh, so it's just who's providing the input, right? Right. Mm -hmm. It's who's providing so the input. In most of the research that we've read, it tends to be the mother because of the situation. But that's because of childcare inequities. It's right. not because exactly. she has a vagina, <laughs> right? So basically, it's going to come down to the amount of input, right? Yep. That That's what it input is. Input drives the bus. All right. I Perfect. mean, attitudes play a role, but, mm -hmm. but attitudes play a role in the amount of input, typically. I mean, yes, you can get a whole lot of input, but have bad attitudes and choose not to speak it. That can certainly happen. But when you're in a minority and minoritized situation, um, it's, it's input. Yeah, for sure. Um, one other question that I have for you. Um, did you think that it's harder to raise your children bilingual when you're an expert in this field in bilingualism and you've read so much, like you're informed and do you feel the extra pressure knowing what's harder? Happening? No, extra pressure. No. I mean, I don't think anybody's judging me like, well, she's a oh, big no. champion of bilingualism, but look at her kids Spanish. Oh my God. Like I don't, right. you know, I did, um, a good job. I know what the pitfalls are. I feel like I can point those out to other people. Um, in fact, I think I did a better job because I knew how hard it was going to be. Right. Like mm -hmm. I knew that I couldn't just, well, I really like this daycare. It's down the road from my house. I love their approach. I love the other moms and the other kids and it's fantastic, but no, I'm not going to put them there five days a week. I'm going to put them there two days a week and I'm going to put them in the Spanish one two days, three days a week and mess up my entire schedule. And I don't care because Monse is making them arroco and habichuelas and talking to them in Spanish. And I know that's important. And mm -hmm. I'm going to schlep them across town. The first two or three years, they were in one dual immersion school. Then I, I told you we moved to Mexico for a year. When we came back, we didn't get back in. So we ended up in one closer to our house. But when we were at that other one, which is the one I wrote my dissertation on, by the way, um, we schlepped them across town 45 minutes. And this is what you do. I'm like, I said to their dad, remember you signed here? No, uh, this is what we're doing. And they didn't have buses. Right. So we, this is what we are doing. And I think, again, it's really tempting, I guess, to just, well, look, there's a school. I could throw a rock and hit the school right. that, that was their neighborhood school, right? I mean, they could fall out of bed and be at the door, you know? But yet here I am hauling them across town. Why? Because of that mission, that language mission. So I think it's, I'm not going to say easier or harder. I'm just going to say it's what pushed me to to do what I did. Right. You had the tools and you did the best you could. Mm -hmm. So to kind of wrap up, 
We want to ask what message you want to send to three groups. What message do you want to send to parents raising bilingual kids? To those kids, what do you want to say to them? And to teachers of those kids. Oh God, how much time do you have? Um, <laughs> you have to remind me. The Just first start one over, like <laughs> parents. Okay. Um, input drives the bus. Try to maximize the input. Uh, obviously, you know, avoid shaming. Um, I've seen some parents, you know, they try to speak to their kid in Spanish and the kid replies in English and then the parent does the, hi, pero, la, 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 you know, they're going to push back and we kind of have to deal with that. Just try to keep it as coming from as much of a love place as you can, right? Um, respecting the kids, but yet, you know, pushing them towards, you know, you can stay in the, the target language as much as you can and find other people to give them that input, but input just absolutely, especially when they're younger, is, is what drives it. So for parents, I would say, you know, if you don't have, so if it's not in your family, like in my case, right, try to go abroad if you can. I mean, I know it costs money and you need the correct paperwork and you need all kinds of things, but the time, right? But if you can, it, it's just such an incredible investment. And I'll tell you, um, all the undergrads I've come into contact with over the years, they will tell me how grateful they are how grateful they are that their parents dragged them to Polish Saturday school. I hated Polish Saturday school. My parents made me go and I hated it. And I was such a little shit to them because I didn't want to go. Um, but now I am bilingual and biliterate in Polish, right? I've never, in 23 years, heard a kid say, oh, I speak and write fluently in two languages. No, the only regret I hear is kids who say, why didn't my parents force me? Right. So, of course, parents, you can never get it right. Right. Because if you force them, they're mad. They hate you. And then if you don't force them, they grow up and they hate you. But take the hate now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the pushback that you'll get now is going to be far outweighed by the gratitude that they're going to express right. later. Because, again, the only time I hear regret from adults is when uh, they say, oh, my parents didn't teach me. I don't know why they didn't. Right. Okay? So that's what I would say to parents. Just hang in there. Hang in there. Yeah. You know, you're doing the right thing. You might get a message from society that says it's not the right thing. You're going to get a message from your own kids who are just tired of your language mission and they just want to talk to you in English, right? And do things in English. Um, but just, you know, keep at it. But again, tr do, do try to come from a place of, of love more than something punitive, right? Um, to the kids, I would say, oh, what can you say to kids? You can't tell them, when you grow up, you'll be glad they did. Like, I don't know. <laughs> All I can say, to, try to put kids in, in environments where they're having fun. Right. You know? Um, when they're super little, they don't, everything is kind of fun, the same to them anyway, but they're used to not understanding what's going on anyway. So go ahead and throw them in, you know, um, and then to teachers, um, that's pretty broad. I mean, I could, all kinds of teachers I could think about, but I guess the ones I'll focus on are the um, Spanish teachers. So like high school, middle school and university Spanish teachers, I would say, you know, be sociolinguistically aware and understand the realities of Latinidad, the fact that these kids showing up to your classroom with any Spanish at all is a miracle. It is a miracle. They swam upstream. They made it happen. It should be applauded. And um, we should be supporting, supporting these kids and their families and adding to their repertoires, never shaming them for the ways they speak, never trying to take away, make them stop saying this and replace it with that. No, 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 no. We add things. To the ways that they speak and we celebrate the ways that they already speak um i guess that's the the main message i would give to teachers 
those are great messages. And Kim great. does have um, a few textbooks out there if you're looking for materials. Check those out. Okay, so I guess we'll leave it there. But uh, thank you so much, Kim, for joining us. And we'll be back soon with another episode of Multilingual Mama. Hasta luego. Ciao. Thank you so much. ever have questions for us or questions about the podcast, go to home and our website at www.multilingualmamaspodcast.com and click on the link for questions. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and stay tuned for another episode of Multilingual Mamas.